Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Christianity Today and Kairos Partnerships. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. We're super excited about our guest. JR and I had a fantastic conversation with Pastor Paul Hill. We can't wait for you all to listen. Uh, But before we get into that, I just wanted to ask a question that may be worth hitting the pause button and just spending a few minutes alone with God. How's your soul? Like, seriously, how are you doing? What emotions seem to be popping up the most in the last few weeks and months? I think sometimes we get so busy with the doing of ministry that we forget that God just wants us to be his kid first and foremost. And I think sometimes we also tend to forget that we don't have to carry this burden and this load alone, but we, have, we are called co-creators with Christ. We are people who get to continue to work faithfully alongside with Christ. And the journey towards Christian maturity is not a journey towards a larger church or more success or bigger tithe or bigger budgets, but it's actually a journey towards collaboration with the work of the Spirit in the soil that we call the church. So pastors, I hope that this conversation encourages you deeply today. Our guest today is Paul Hill. Paul and his wife, Kalana, have led the Wheatland Mission Church since its founding in 2006. Having journeyed with the church throughout many ups and downs, they are grateful to see God's work in this corner of the kingdom. They've been married for 27 years. They have two children. And Savannah recently graduated from Kansas State and Harrison, who is a senior at Wichita State. In addition to pastoring the Wheatland Mission, Paul enjoys teaching courses in Bible and Christian spirituality at Friends University. Paul and Kalana have made the most of this COVID season by planting bigger and bigger gardens and very slowly remodeling their home. We know you're going to enjoy this conversation with our friend, Paul Hill. Paul, great to see you. Brother Paul, so glad you could join Doug and me here on this Monday morning pastor podcast episode. Good to see you, brother. Thanks, JR. It's good to see you too. Glad you're glad you're here. And Doug and I have known you for the last several years. In fact, Paul, I remember the first time I met you, it was at the Missio Alliance gathering in Northern Virginia, Alexandria. And you uh, had been introduced to us through Keys Kiesler, our mutual friend. And you, I just remember walking across the street to the gathering at the church and thinking, uh-huh. this guy is super cool. I want to be this guy's friend. And I told Keys that and he said, I told you, I told you. <laughs> and so it's really been fun throughout the years to be in relationship, both of us to be in relationship with you. And uh, so glad we can have a conversation here today. Well, thanks. Thanks. I enjoy my friendship with both of you guys. It's been a real gift to me. So thank you. I remember that day, by the way. I remember that trip. So yep, yep, good great times. Trip. Great trip. Well, well, just as a way of getting to know you a little bit here, um, we know you, but our audience doesn't know you. And you're in Wichita, Kansas. You have quite a unique story in terms of ministry and how you ended up there. So I always love to ask, tell us a little bit about your call to ministry. How did you know you were supposed to be a pastor? Yeah, I, that's a wonderful question. And I've, I, I've thought about it before. and um, I think the best way to answer that is I think I figured it out by looking back. I don't know that uh, I really understood that I was hearing God call me until years after I was in already in the ministry and looking back and recognizing, yeah, here, 
here was God um, moving me in this direction and placing me in this in this circumstance. I, I do remember as a very young child, I grew up with a in a Christian home, uh, good folks, good parents, um, and as a young kid, I remember imagining uh, being a person in ministry, and then went off to uh, Bible college and and went off to uh, Manhattan Christian College in K State and sir uh studied there for a few years and during that time i really tried to be less conventional you know pursuing different kinds of ministry but then after a decade or so i discovered i'm kind of back in uh, kind of a standard normal uh sunday church experience something very similar to what i grew up with which i was trying to be cooler than what i grew up with but now i uh I'm really grateful that uh, I'm in a place similar to that. Mm. One of the things that um, Doug and I love about you is your, you're so relational and yet you also care deeply about liturgy. Yeah. And I'm curious, did you grow up in a liturgical context or is that something that sort of grew on you as your ministry calling grew? No, not, not at all. I, I grew up in the independent Christian church, which I, Love that background, and and that was just a very enriching experience to me. But we were so non-liturgical, we wouldn't even pray the Lord's Prayer together. So mm. the first church that I worked in outside of college, the it was a Disciples of Christ church. Everybody stood up and prayed the Lord's Prayer on unison. And I remember gripping the pew in front of me thinking, this is so Catholic. I don't understand it. <laughs> and I, I look back and I think... Well, it's not Catholic, it's Christian, or maybe it is both, I guess. But, but, um, so that was my experience. But really, um, probably in my mid 30s, about the time we started Wheatland, the church I'm a part of now, uh, we started exploring maybe some deeper connections, both first off with the church year. Robert Weber's book, Ancient Future Time, really, really helped us in this. And then from that, it just spun off into utilizing uh, uh, the, the Book of Common Prayer and the liturgy that we found there. We flirted with joining the Anglican Church, oh, seven or eight years ago, and, and that just wasn't the right decision for us. But I, I'm just very grateful for, for this experience. And one of the things that struck me is my kids were very small, and I wanted them to know the Lord's Prayer, believe it or not. That was, I mean, we would teach them that, but. But virtually every week we we pray these words together, and now it's a natural part of our lives. And mm. and I do remember as a young adult, as a professional minister, if you will, not really knowing the Lord's Prayer by heart. I mean, I, I kind of knew it. I had to think about it. Um, but man, what a joy it is both d- just to engage all this liturgy in our in our church uh, church now. To me, it's very much about people's formation and discipleship. It's not in in the beginning. I think it. I think we loved it because it was super cool, um, and we were kind of on the tail end of that emergent thing. And uh, this was something we were doing, candles and etc. Uh, but it became uh, in time something deeply uh, meaningful and rich. And now I can't. I. I it's hard for me to. Uh, appreciate a worship experience that doesn't involve these liturgical aspects. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about conversation that I've had with you, Paul. It seems like you have a deep longing and passion for spiritual formation. And um, yeah, so speaking of like calendar year, church, and just calendars in general, I know mm-hmm. you and I both had the experience of being on sabbatical um, not too mm-hmm. long ago over the summer. And we had a chance to journey together pre-sabbatical, sort of talking about some of our stuff and and then post-sabbatical. But yeah, I mean, what did you learn on sabbatical? What do you feel like God taught you in that season? You know, uh, the word that comes to my mind after sabbatical, and, and I'm not the person who says this is the word that comes to me normally, but the word that comes to my mind is maintenance, which is such a unromantic, unspiritual sounding word. But I had plans during sabbatical to do work on our house, to replace my deck, all these big dreams, none of which, uh, or very few of that, uh, very little of that got done. But what I realized during my time is uh, it, it's not maintenance on my home or my vehicles. I mean, that's that's important, of course, but really maintenance in my relationships, specifically with my wife and my kids. I mean, uh, that was one of the the big things that was brought home to me that uh, that I can easily put stuff off. Uh, you know, we'll we'll have a nice, good time together later on and then ignore kind of the day-to-day things. And also maintenance on my soul. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. the big one. It's like, you know, I'll I'll have a great retreat time six months from now, but I need to just plow through and ignore, you know, the the stuff that's going on inside of me. So, so again, maintenance, I I don't even like the word, um, but it it really makes a lot of sense to me in terms of, it, it was really kind of the thing that I brought out of, sabbatical, this sense of I need to pay attention to the daily rhythms of providing care uh, to family, to friends, to friendships in my church, and then also with my own soul. I mean, that was that was the big piece. I'm grateful. I went into sabbatical. I wasn't freaking out. I mean, I wasn't like ready to quit. I mean, I think everybody in ministry is ready to quit at uh, any time, but, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I should take that back. Uh, but I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't as ready to quit as I had been previous. Maybe um, <laughs> that was but, a nice uh, nuance there. Nice yeah, that's, nuance. Yeah, that's right. It's well, we want to be honest, I guess, don't we? Uh, but but no, I, I went in not as desperate as I could have been. So I think I went into the sabbatical at the right time, and. Um, uh, you know, two months, I, I I was on sabbatical almost three months. Um, when I hit the two-month mark, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not ready for this to end, not ready to go back. But then about two weeks before I did go back, I really was, I just had this sense of I'm, I'm ready to go back to work. Um, and uh, And there was no great revelation. I think I just kind of was able to rest a little bit, uh, or a lot. And, uh, and man, that was a, that was a great, that was a great gift. And cause I know it's not, I know that's not the case for a lot of people. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with how you go into sabbatical. I mean, if you're, if you're just barely keeping your head above water, uh, in any number of ways, then you need the sabbatical, but may, it may not be enough. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm what grateful the- for it. Yeah, and Paul, I, I love uh, who you were before sabbatical, but I also know the Lord did some work in you, and and 
to see who you are now. It's just really encouraging. And and well, that's great. But I also know you're having a sabbatical in the midst of a crazy season of pandemic and division and so much uncertainty, maybe yeah. more uncertainty than at least in our lifetime that we've seen in ministry. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things we like to ask pastors, what when it comes to ministry, what discourages or concerns you in this season right now of ministry? Yeah. Um, so uh, there, I suppose there's a whole list of things that discourage me. Uh, maybe not a huge one, but there's several things. Uh, and COVID has been really very, uh, I mean, this is nothing new. It's been really difficult for everybody in ministry. I'm, I'm grateful for how our church has handled it. And, and I think we've done better than I expected. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But one of the things that really discourages me now, and and I uh, and and COVID has uh, increased this, I think, um, or intensified it, and that is that there's just this. Um, uh, I, I, I'm, let me put it in these terms: I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of all the ways that the people in my church are formed spiritually that are not Christian, yeah. and. Um, and that to me is uh is an enormous um an enormous challenge so mm-hmm. um so that and several years ago a group of us read the book uh, uh a secular age by charles taylor and when i say we read it i i met with the group and they read the book um and uh <laughs> yeah that's that's not uh that's not right like the comics or anything like that's no, a no, pretty no, pretty heady book there oh yeah Paul. it's uh, <laughs> Eight or nine hundred pages, I think. But uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the uh, the com- the discussion about it, and then the other much smaller books related to it. But the thing that I I, I I've appreciated the most about the um, uh, about learning about the secular age is just recognizing how the Christian faith is um, is it's not so much that it's being resisted as much as it's just kind of being ignored. It's one of a million options out there, and it's one of a million options for Christians. Uh, and that's the part that I find myself kind of re-evangelizing people uh, in my own in my own congregation, and that's been a a really unique challenge. So, so what does that re-evangelization look like in your context? Um, you know, I, I'm still trying to discover that. I think um, the uh, I, I think a big part of it is is just worshiping. Uh, I think the liturgy is a huge part of this because we're not relying upon emotional appeals or experiences, although we do have some of a lot of that, and we try to share that when we can. But there's really just a sense of, hey, we are in this, uh, uh, this together, not just those of us gathered in this room, but uh, all of our brothers and sisters who've preceded us for 2,000 years. Um, so I think making that connection is hugely important because, I mean, as you guys know, young people and old people and all people are incredibly oriented to them to themselves and what they're doing. And um, so it's hard for them to understand anything beyond their own experience. So um, so that's that's one piece. Another thing that we do, we, and I, I should have mentioned this with our liturgy when we were talking about liturgy, but we do uh, three times a week our church gathers for morning prayer. Uh, and we pray from the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, we also include our own prayer requests and our own com- our own conversations with God in that 
But I think providing that those rails for people to kind of attach their faith to um, has been really uh, has has been really valuable for some folks. Um, and and we don't mess with it very much. We just go with what's in with what the prayer book gives us, and uh, it's rich enough uh, to nourish us. Um, but back to your questions, I'm not sure what we're doing, or I'm not sure what we need to do to evangelize. But I find that our, our weekly gatherings, our weekly worship gatherings, have kind of this evangelistic side to them. Not a traditional, doesn't sound like Billy Graham, but but we're re-evangelizing ourselves, mm. I think, myself included. Um, anyway, I, I have adult children now, so it's interesting just to see their experiences with the faith compared to mine when I was their age. And it is not the same. And, uh, uh, and there's things about that that encourage me, and there's things about it that scare me to death. Um, so, yeah. Paul, I, I, you know, this is, I feel bad because in some ways I'm sort of moving the conversation away from, from the encouraging, discouraging part, but you mentioned having adult children and many pastors, uh, have young children or they're just starting families or, you know, me, I have two teenagers at home. What is some advice that you could give or just some practical thoughts from being a, a dad, uh, you know, of kids, uh, having having them grow up in, you know, the parsonage or just in and around the church. Um, what are some things that you feel like were really helpful and formative for your kids? Well, I wouldn't say that we did it all really well. Um, we had some, you know, our own heartaches during those, during those years. But I, I think one of the, I, I think one of the critical things is praying, uh, praying for and praying with, our kids. And, and that's, uh, that's so obvious. It, it might go without saying, but, uh, but, and, and as time goes on, you have more and more chances to pray for them than with them. Um, so take as much time as you can with that. And one other thing, and this is going to, this will sound weird. Um, but, uh, so my kids are in their twenties now. Um, and I, I just, and I, I don't know if they'll listen to this. I, I may not encourage them to, but <laughs> I I, uh, I don't know how to say this other than I make them let me hug them whenever I see them, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and you know there's a point of appropriateness and you know we understand that, but I just think this they even as they grow older, uh, we need to nurture the sense of attachment that we have with with our children and. Um, and and I think that goes a long way. And I think physical proximity, whenever we can have it, my daughter doesn't live in town anymore, so that becomes harder. But whatever we can do to nurture that sense of attachment and togetherness, um, and and then and then help them figure out their boundaries uh, as adults, but uh, and, and as teens and younger than that even. But I I think that's critical, and I think it's really easy. So here's one more thing I'll share, and please edit everything I've just said here. But one more thing I'll say <laughs> is, uh, um, uh, 
there is a hidden kind of a concealed guilt and shame component when you're the child of a person in ministry mm. that no matter how hard you try as a as as the parent who's a minister that creeps in and just be attentive to that and and man i would just i would ask about it i mean it's only been the last year or two i mean again my kids are in their 20s when when they've really had the language to talk about that part of growing up in a in a pastor's house and i th- i thought we were so good that uh, you know you know we let him listen to secular music and watch saturday night live and all the great stuff you know um that's that's not how you fix that um yeah. you have to talk about it and so those unspoken unseen expectations are so important and and you got to name them you got to talk about them mm. wow what do you know now, Paul, you wish you knew when you started in ministry? So you, you can't make people do anything. Um, and perhaps one of the most important things that we give people is freedom. Uh, I mean, and, and that doesn't mean we don't say what is true. doesn't mean we don't say what we think God is revealing to us. Um, uh, but I think that notion of of allowing people to uh, to be who they are without trying to coerce them into a, a certain box. I, I mean, everybody describes me as a nice person, but I know, you know, being nice is is great cover for manipulation. And uh, and it's and in ministry, I mean, we want to get people to a certain destiny, you know, destination rather, or destiny, I guess. Um, and we just have to trust that God's going to do that. And it's really easy, really easy to force that. So that's, I think that's a, I wish I would have got a hold of that earlier. And I think within that, it would mean when you plant a church, people are going to leave um, and you got to let them leave. And, uh, and when you hate them for leaving, you got to figure that out quicker than sooner rather than later. Mm. Um, But allowing them to be, is is a big part of that. My sense is that there are some listeners that are rewinding that portion and going, wait, wait, what did he just say? Being <laughs> nice is often a cover for manipulation. <laughs> can can you peel back some of those layers of that onion a little bit further? Well, I uh uh yeah. Um well, I mean I, I, it may expose too much here, but uh I, I think that most people who get called into ministry or most people who are in ministry, uh, at least a lot of them really are people, persons. They like to, to please people. They like to, uh, they like to help. They want to support and all these things are good. Um, uh, but I think sometimes the, uh, you know, our smile and our accommodation is really, is, it's, it's not always honest goodness. It's sometimes, strategic uh uh manipulation of people um and uh you know pastors we we got a I mean we have a power in people's lives whether we want to acknowledge that or not and we got to know when we're manipulating them um and that's hard i think uh because we know what's best for them and uh and we may in fact know what's best for them um 
but man, we the temptation to manipulate them and get them to be where they need to be is 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 dangerous. I mean, and maybe just if you look at everybody in your church as a you know a thirteen year old, um, so how can I get them to do what I want them to do with the least amount of resistance? Um, well, that's not that's that's not healthy shepherding. Um, you know, uh, healthy shepherding is just honest, straightforward uh, clarity, and then and then the willingness to remain connected when when people are unhappy with you i mean that's the um and gosh we just i mean when i say we i i'm referring to myself but uh maybe other pastors feel this way too but uh we like to be liked you know um and uh anyway and that and that's a that that can be addicting and then the uh uh, the entree that that provides, the entrance that provides into being able to manipulate people in a certain road, we we got to resist it, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is what I love about every conversation that I've had with you is in such a short amount of time, you're, you just name things and go deep quickly. Um, it's like you're the kind of surgeon that I, I want to have because he's going to get in, get it done, and get out, <laughs> which is just really great. Um, and I just think wow. you just bring such wisdom. And thanks for naming that. I know it's interesting. That's actually something I've really been sitting with these last few months um, of just recognizing that temptation of, you know, like I am a nice guy, like I love people, but that is such a dangerous thing. Um, mm. And to recognize that as a dangerous thing. Um, you know, as we're coming to a close, I just want to leave you with like two questions and well, a question and then an ask. And and the first question is like, what encouragement would you have for pastors? And then the second is, as you're done with that encouragement, could you leave us, leave pastors this day with the benediction? Oh yeah, sure, sure. So the coolest thing the coolest encouragement, maybe not the coolest, but one of the greatest moments of encouragement in my life happened 15 years ago or so. Uh, the pastor of a mega church in town and I were having lunch. Um, and, uh, and he was a person that we, we went to college together. He was several years older than me, but, uh, um, really good guy, but he just looked at me and he said, thank you for being in ministry Mm. and for staying in ministry. And no one had ever said anything like that to me. They had said things like, uh, oh, blah, blah, blah. You're good at this. That's great. You're so gifted. What a great job you did, et cetera, that kind of stuff. And that's nice. But for him to go, thanks, because maybe there's something else in life you could do uh, that would be a lot more lucrative. Um, and then he went on and he remarked that uh, naming all these people that we knew in common who were no longer in ministry. So. A word of encouragement. I, I I think I just want to say to all everybody in ministry who hears this, thanks. Mm. We need you guys um, so badly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and I think of guys that I mean I'm in a city of about a half a million, roughly. Great fun place, you know. But I think about people who pastor churches in the town, the five thousand town of five thousand people that I grew up in. I think of that guy and I just want to say thanks for doing that. Um, so that's my, I mean, that's my biggest encouragement. You're needed. 
And I am very grateful for you guys and for the two of you. Oh, you're such a gift to us. And this is why we wanted to share uh, you with others and our listeners on this. And uh, so in some ways, I almost feel like you just gave a benediction by that story. But (laughs) I just wonder if there's some sort of blessing or prayer or benediction or final word you want to just give uh, to pastors based on that gratitude. They just kind of on the heels of the appreciation. Well, I just... uh... I end, we end our worship with this, and this is one we're all familiar with, but it's my favorite. I think it's just so rich that from 2 Corinthians 13, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. thanks for joining us for this episode of the Monday Morning Pastor podcast today. Could you do us two favors? Number one, would you leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods? If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you could help us to spread the word. And number two, would you share this episode with two other pastors or leaders who you think would benefit from MMP? We would be deeply grateful if you could help us. Thanks in advance, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.